let's study God's Word. And we'll move to the, the book of Proverbs, chapter 8. See how far we get this morning. I was wondering whether or not I could have spent the entire time on, on those articles. I was wondering how much time we would actually have. And we've got a, a little bit of time to delve into Proverbs chapter 8 this morning, where we see wisdom personified in Proverbs chapter 8. We're getting to the close of this opening section of the book of Proverbs that is that is uh, not what we traditionally think of as a proverb, being a short, pithy uh, meme of 3,000 years ago, if you will. Uh, these chapters that we've been studying are have been entire chapters that are on one specific topic. And here it is, the in chapter 8, it is the personification of wisdom. So what do I mean when I say personification? I'll give you the dictionary definition. It is a figure of speech wherein the author gives life to some inanimate object or idea. It, it is giving human characteristics to something that isn't human. Uh, the, the book uh, Animal Farm, if you're familiar with that, written by Orson Welles, the, the animals kind of take over the farm. And, and it, it uh, eventually devolves into socialist, socialism, communism, and these kinds of things. And it's a very interesting uh, read. But nevertheless, the animals are given human characteristics. And within Animal Farm, there's a lot, there's another level to it because the animals have various characteristics that are brought out in this kind of thing. Uh, very interesting. Nevertheless, here, wisdom is, is coming to life given human attributes and abilities so that we can better understand what wisdom actually is. And so it's, it's a way for us to better understand the concept that is being presented. And now there are many similarities here with the way that wisdom is presented and Jesus Christ. And, and some scholars you will go to will, will say, well, this, this is Solomon describing Jesus a thousand years before he came into the world. And I would, I would say, no, probably not, even though we're going to go to a bunch of New Testament passages uh, when we do this. There are definitely similarities because what Solomon is describing essentially is the truth applied to daily living. And who is the truth? Jesus Christ is the truth. He is, he is literally wisdom personified, wisdom encapsulated in a person perfectly. He's God in human flesh, and so of course he exemplifies truth, wisdom, everything that is, that is good. So it's easy to see Jesus in, in this passage, even though it's not uh, specifically describing uh, Jesus or intentionally describing Jesus, it is uh, it's describing wisdom, and Jesus is the literal personification of 
Jesus. Uh, Jesus is the literal personification of wisdom. Ah. Uh, so, here today we'll see the call of wisdom, the counsel of wisdom, and the command of wisdom, if we make it that far. And we've got 19 minutes, so we'll see how we do. The call of wisdom. Proverbs chapter 8, beginning in verse 1, says, Does not wisdom call, and understanding lift up her voice on top of the heights, beside the way where the paths meet? She takes her stand beside the gates. At the opening to the city, at the entrance of the door, she cries out, To you, O men, I call, and my voice is to the sons of men. O naive ones, understand prudence, and fools understand wisdom. And so here, uh, wisdom is making an appeal as if it's a person standing on the street corner and, and shouting out. It is, it is making an appeal to people. And the, the Hebrew word there is kara, to call, to summon, to proclaim, to invite. So wisdom is inviting people to listen to what she has to say essentially, uh, understand what, what I am saying to you. And so you have to remember, we haven't talked about it in a while, but what is wisdom? Wisdom isn't uh, just being, quote-unquote, a wise person. It is, it is cleverness, skill, and experience. That's the, uh, the, the definition here. And wisdom and understanding are essentially synonyms here. Does not wisdom call and understanding lift up her voice there in verse 1? And uh, if you'll remember, wisdom is applying knowledge to your life. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So having a, a, a fear of the Lord, an understanding of who He is, and an understanding of who you are in light of who He is, is the foundation for knowledge. And then you take knowledge and apply it to your life, live it out on a daily basis. That is wisdom. That is being a wise person. So for example, a person could have the knowledge in their head, that Jesus died for the sins of the world. Uh, Bart Ehrman, for example, has that knowledge in his head. He has the knowledge that the Bible, at least, teaches. I'm not sure that he even thinks Jesus is a real person who lived. But at any rate, uh, he has the knowledge that the Bible teaches that Jesus died for the sins of the world. That knowledge spiritually speaking, does nothing for you. Maybe it could inspire you to be a better person. It could uh, maybe inspire you to sacrifice for other people and this kind of thing. But spiritually, that knowledge does nothing in making you right with God. The application of that knowledge, wisdom, is what makes you spiritually right with God. Wisdom, in terms of that knowledge, would be trusting in 
the sacrificial death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That would be wise. As a Christian, as a believer in Christ, you could have the knowledge that the Holy Spirit indwells you. That's what the Bible teaches. Jesus said that he would send the Holy Spirit to us in in the upper room discourse. After he left, he would send the Comforter, the Holy Spirit to us, and he would indwell us and illumine our thinking, and he would give us the Bible. He would inspire the, the apostles and writers of the New Testament to write Scripture for us. He would convict us of... Uh, sin, righteousness, and judgment, these sorts, of, these sorts of things. We can have that knowledge. Wisdom is applying that in your daily life, walking by means of the Spirit, trusting in Him moment by moment, understanding uh, Scripture, applying those principles to your life, yielding to the convicting nature of the Holy Spirit when you get nervous before you sin. Understand that's the Holy Spirit trying to get your attention. Don't, don't do that. He's convicting you of sin. That would be wise living in light of the knowledge. If you'll remember Roy Zook, his definition of wisdom. Wisdom means being skillful and successful in one's relationships and responsibilities, observing and fo- following the Creator's principles of order in the moral universe. And the fear of the Lord is is the basis of this. This is step one in wise living. We have to understand who we are and who God is. And then start putting the principles of Scripture into practice. And wisdom here is making an appeal. And the appeal is loud and clear. Verses 2 and 3, notice what it says. On top of the heights, beside the way, where the paths meet, she takes her stand. Beside the gates, at the opening to the city, at the entrance of the doors, she cries out. This is, uh, this is a thousand BC way of saying it's everywhere. Wisdom is ubiquitous. It's on your smartphone. It's on your TV. It's in front of you all the time. Everywhere you go, wisdom is calling out to you. If only that is the way that it actually worked in, in the world in which we were living. Instead of being bombarded with, buy this new car, uh, make sure that you're uh, recycling your cardboard, get an electric car or you're an evil person. Uh, this is the sort of thing that we're bombarded with instead of the truth of the Scriptures. Nevertheless, it, what Solomon is saying here is that it is that it is very obvious, uh, and it is. It, it's on the heights, it's at the crossroads, it's at the city gates, wisdom calling out to us, and the call is, is loud and clear. Uh, that's the way we, uh, in aviation, sometimes uh, the air traffic controllers will ask us, you know, how are you hearing this transmission? Oh, loud and clear. In the Navy, it was five by five, we would say. Five for how loud it is, five for how clear it is on a scale of, of one to five. This, the call of wisdom is five by five. It is everywhere. Uh, it is from all three persons of the Trinity, are calling out to us as human beings. 
Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. This is what is going on in the world today. is being perfectly described by Paul. Suppression of the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world... His invisible attributes, His eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. If you find yourself reading things like Bart Ehrman, like I did this past week, you know, oh, there, there could just be a little tickle of doubt in your brain. This guy's smarter than I am. Maybe, maybe he's right. Maybe, uh, maybe whatever it is that you're reading about. Always go back to this. Always go back to, how did we get here? Why are we here? How did this earth come into existence? It is not possible for there to not be a God who created this world. It is statistically, insignificantly not possible for this universe to have come into existence by chance. And therefore, you have to deal with this Bible and what it says. You have to deal with the person of Jesus Christ and the things that he said, the things that he did in his life, and the fact that is recorded in even secular history of the time that he rose from the dead and people saw him alive after he rose from the dead. You have to deal with those truths, and the Bible comes out on top when you, when you do that in a, in a legitimate manner. Always go back to the beginning. Just That's why the debate always goes back to the beginning of whether or not there is a God. How did we get here? Paul is saying that he has clearly revealed himself in the creation and being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. The Father cries out loud and clear in the very creation. Jesus Christ himself uh, said that when, I'll just read it to you, John twelve thirty two. and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. You as a human being have to deal with Jesus Christ on the cross because that that is such a powerful earth shattering, changing event that you have to make a decision. You are forced to make a decision about what happened on the cross when Christ died. That's what he is mentioning here in John 12, 32, that he would draw all men to himself by being lifted up on the cross. We have to make that decision. Ah, he's just a guy who died. Okay, <laughs> that's, that's your right as a as a human being, to make that sort of decision. Uh, that is a very unwise decision, however, because he is God in human flesh who died for our sins, and he is the only way to the Father. The Holy Spirit also cries out loud and clear to not just us, not just a secret uh, cabal of people who are uh, in church this morning, but he cries out to the world. 
John 16, 8, Jesus speaking of the Holy Spirit, and he, when he comes, will convict the world. That doesn't mean the world of the elect or the world of the church. That word means the world. That means everybody. He will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me. So you're convicted of your sin because you don't believe in Christ. I'm convicted of sin because I do believe in Christ sometimes as well. But unbelievers are convicted because they know they're accountable. This world is created by God we are created by him and therefore we're accountable to him. So the, the Holy Spirit will convict people of sin because they don't believe in Christ. Verse 10, and concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me, and concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. All three persons of the Trinity play a role in the call of wisdom. And it is, it is loud and clear, and it is given to all people. And the choice is ours, whether or not we are going to respond to this call. Verse 4 of Proverbs chapter 8 says, O naive ones, understand prudence. Oh, I'm sorry, verse 4. To you, O men, I call. Again, O men. It, it's not just men. It's men and women is the implication and everybody is who is having this call go out. I call and my voice is to the sons of men. If it wasn't clear by saying, oh men, that phrase sons of men makes it more clear that this is a call that is going out to everyone. Verse five, oh naive ones understand prudence and oh fools understand wisdom. To you, O men, and sons of men, this call is going out to everyone. Similar to the way that the call of salvation goes out to everyone, every single person. John four forty-two. Jesus, uh, the woman at the well is the topic of importance there in John chapter 4. And the, the people who heard the woman, who, the woman meets with Jesus, uh, she believes in him after he points out miraculously her uh, infidelity and these kinds of things, that gets her attention, she believes in him, and she immediately goes and tells the people of the city about Jesus. And they, the people of the city, were saying to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. These people understood that Jesus is the Savior of the world, that this offer of salvation wasn't just to Jewish people. If you'll remember, she was a Samaritan who lived in a Samaritan city. So all of these people were Samaritans. The, Jesus is the Savior of the world. I, as a Samaritan, I'll believe in him and receive eternal life. As a Gentile person, you and I can believe in him and receive eternal life because Jesus is not just the Savior of the Jews. He is the Savior of the world. 
Romans 3.21 says, But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Jesus is witnessed by the entirety of the new uh, Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, Paul is saying, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by the grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. There's another verse for you to go to when your Reformed friend tells you that, oh, the faith is the gift in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Faith is the gift. You, you have to be a predetermined selection of you personally in order to believe. And then God gifts you with faith so that you can believe. Eh, wrong. Romans 3.24, if you want to go to chapter and verse, you, you can go beyond the language of Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 that makes that not possible. You can also go to Romans 3.24, being justified as a gift. There are several verses that are just like this. The gift is salvation. You receive it by way of faith. It is through grace... The gift is grace. That's the definition of grace, a free gift, something given to you that you didn't deserve. Uh, and that's the gift in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Justi being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God he passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? Of works? No, but by a law of faith. For we maintain a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law? Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since indeed God will, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith is one. The choice is ours. It's the whole point of Romans 1 through 3 is to show that all people are fallen. Jews, Gentiles alike are fallen. And all people have access to God through faith in Christ. And so the call is, uh, the, the choice is ours. Wisdom is standing at the gates. She is making an appeal. It is, it is very loud and clear before us, and the choice, the choice is ours. And, and we will go on from there uh, next time, and we'll see the counsel of wisdom and the command of wisdom as we make our way through this wisdom being personified. And uh, we... The takeaway from this morning is that wisdom is, is calling out to us. It is, it is there, it is obvious, it is ubiquitous before us, not just for salvation, as the verses that I pointed to kind of point to, but uh, it is for 
daily living for us. That's the point of, of Proverbs chapter 8, is that wisdom is before us, and the choice is ours as believers whether or not we are going to obey this call of wisdom, and it behooves us to do it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. I thank you for the chance to briefly look into Proverbs this morning and the incredible truth that we find there. I just pray that you would help us, each one of us as believers, to live wisely, to apply the truths of your word that are so obvious before us. I pray that we would apply them to every area of our life and every area of our thinking so that we would be conformed to Christ. I pray that we would do this not, uh, not with political motives so that we can, uh, I don't know, fit in with our friends or whatever motivation we might be thinking. I pray that we wouldn't use the Bible as a, as a political weapon, but instead we would use it to form our thinking and our worldview and that it would affect every area of our lives that we would rightly apply it to every area of our lives so that we can be pleasing to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.